Well, this morning that we are assembling in different parts of the world, assembling virtually and assembling in our homes and uh, in many cases assembling in spirit but not in body, not physically but spiritually, we are gathering together in the name of the Lord Jesus. But this morning, this is Resurrection Sunday, this is a fulfillment of Passover and there are many directions we could proceed uh, this morning but I'm going to uh, simply um, follow this follow this pattern or take this approach this morning. I'm going to open my Bible in Matthew's Gospel and begin to read in chapter 27 at the beginning of that chapter, verse number 1. As Jesus is delivered to Pilate, I will read through this chapter and the portion of the fall of the next chapter and simply uh, allow the the uh, the pen, the quill, the writing of Matthew to speak for itself. I'm going to comment perhaps from time to time as I read this, but I'll try to keep my commentary brief. And when I do offer commentary, I may offer commentary of others and not necessarily my own. Simply believe it's very important just to permit the story to go forth, just to read it again, allow the power of this message to speak for itself. And it becoming early morning, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put, him, to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then he who had betrayed him, seeing that he was condemned, sorrowing, Judas returned the thirty pieces of silver again to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned, betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to that. And he threw the pieces of silver down in the temple and departed, and he went and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury, because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel and bought the potter's field with them to bury strangers in. Therefore that field was called the field of blood to this day. Then that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him who had been priced, whom they of the children of Israel valued, and gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord appointed me. And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, You say it. And when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they witness against you? And he did not answer him a word, so that the governor greatly marveled. Of course, we know this is a specific and direct fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 7. And so he was silent in fulfillment of that passage. It's uh, interesting to me to, to note that the Accusations, the mocking, the accusations that were made against Jesus were the accusation by the Jews was that he said he was the son of God. That's what really, really bothered them and needled them is that he said who he really was. He said he was the son of God. But they brought the allegation to the Roman governor that he said he was the king of the Jews. So the emphasis to the Romans was that This man is saying that he is king of the Jews, but the real issue to the Jews was that he said he was the son of God. 
Returning to Matthew 27 and verse 15. Now at that feast, the governor was accustomed to release to the people a prisoner, whomever they desired. And they then had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you desire that I release to you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew they had delivered him because of envy. But as he was sitting down on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, Have nothing to do with that just man, for today, because of him, I have suffered many things in a dream. Many questions we have about Pilate's wife. Was she Roman? Was she a Gentile? Was she Jewish? We don't know the answer to some of these questions. But we do know that she had been given a dream. And the dream obviously was given to her by the Lord. It was a divinely granted dream. And in the dream she said that she suffered many things. In other words, there was a a sense of portent. There was a sense of an ominous sense of what would befall Perhaps the Jewish nation, perhaps the Roman world, perhaps her own family as a consequence of this. And so her message to her husband was to have nothing to do with sentencing Jesus to death. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you desire that I release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said to him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. But when Pilate saw that it gained nothing, but rather that a tumult was made, it was a near riot breaking out, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. But no water or soap or detergent could wash away his participation and his role in the sentencing of Jesus. Verse 25. Then all the people answered and said, Let his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. We understand from ancient historians, among them being Eusebius, that within either three or six years in that time frame, following the event, following the crucifixion of Jesus, that Pontius Pilate had fallen into into difficulties with the Roman government, with the uh, emperor of Rome. He'd fallen into disfavor. And in 36 AD, on the orders of Emperor Caligula, Pontius Pilate was ordered by the emperor to commit suicide, which he did. And so within either three or six years following this, Pontius Pilate took his own life. Obviously, these are some of the things that um, caused the suffering of his wife during the dream that she had received. Then taking Jesus into the praetorium, the soldiers of the governor gathered the cohort cohort against him. And stripping him, they put a scarlet robe around him. And plaiting a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, 
king of the Jews, and spitting at him, they took the reed and struck at his head. And this crown of thorns was not just a circular band of thorns around the outside of his head, but it was more a cap of thorns. And after they had mocked him, they took the robe off of him, and they put his own clothing on him and led him away to crucify him. And going out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They forced this one to carry his cross. And coming to a place called Golgotha, which is called place of a skull, they gave him vinegar mixed with gall to drink. And when he had tasted, he would not drink. And they crucified him, dividing his garments, casting a lot, so that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and they cast a lot for my clothing. And sitting down, they guarded him there. And they put up over his head his accusation, written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two thieves were crucified with him, one off to the right and one off to the left. And those who passed by blasphemed him, shaking their heads and saying, You destroyed the temple and building in three days. Save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. And in the same way also the chief priests mocked with the scribes and elders, saying, He saved others, but he cannot save himself. If he is the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And also the thieves who were crucified with him reviled him, saying the same. We know that one of the thieves from another of the gospel writers came to a change of heart and change of mind before he expired. Now, we'll mention again, I'll mention again before I continue to read that for the Feast of Passover, for Passover, all the Jewish males from the then-known world were required to gather in Jerusalem for the feast. They needed to be there for Passover. They also needed to be there for Pentecost. And so, you know, they're all gathered in Jerusalem at this point in time. Because the verses now that I'm about to read, I have read before previously in the podcast concerning some of the very unusual cosmic events that occurred, miraculous events, all in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. So I'll read beginning again, or continuing from verse 45. And from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. That's from noon until... 3 p.m. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of those who stood there, when they heard this, they, they said, this one calls for Elijah. And immediately one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar, and he put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. And the rest said, let him alone, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And crying again with a loud voice, Jesus released his spirit, that is, from his body. He released his spirit from his body. And so the body without the spirit is dead. This is the definition of physical death. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. 
and the earth quaked, and the rocks were sheared, and the tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep arose. Now there are two events. When this earthquake occurred simultaneously with the death of Jesus on the cross, and the rocks were sheared, consequence of that was that many of the tombs outside Jerusalem were opened, exposed. Now the bodies that were exposed did not immediately arise at that moment. They would, but we'll come to that in just a few moments. I want to read from the commentary on the on this verse, this verse 52, and also I'll read on verse 53, commentary of John Gill. John Gill, as we all know, was an 18th century scholar, theologian, scholar, well-respected. There are many commentaries. I found that uh, John Gill has invested in his commentary at a level uh, almost beyond all other commentaries that I can think of. He goes into tremendous detail. He leaves no stone unturned. He responds to everything. The level of his expertise and scholarship is exhaustive. It's interesting to note that uh, John Gill, at the age of 11, was well accomplished in Greek. And of course, then he would go on to become one of the greatest Hebrew scholars of his era. And that was his specialty, was Hebrew, but also very, very accomplished in Greek. This is what John Gill has written, portion of what he has written on verse 52, again, that says the tombs were opened Many bodies of the saints had fallen asleep, arose. Now, again, he writes, Not that they arose at the time of Christ's death. The graves were opened then, when the earth quaked and the rocks were rent. But the bodies of the saints did not arise till after Christ was risen, as appears from the following verse. But because the other events now happened, they are both recorded here. These were saints, and such as slept in Jesus and of whom he is the first fruits that now rose. And not all, but many of them as pledges of the future resurrection and for the confirmation of Christ and the accomplishment of a prophecy in Isaiah 26 and 19. I'll not read that right now, but look that one up in your Bible, Isaiah 26 and 19, and you will see that this is a prophecy concerning this very event. And they rose in the same bodies in which they before lived, Otherwise, they could not be called their bodies or known by those to whom they appeared. But who they were is not to be known, and I'll just add my words with certainty. And who they were is not to be known with absolute certainty. Some have thought them to be the ancient patriarchs. But it should seem rather that they were some later saints, such as Zechariah, such as not saying it was him, but he's saying, such as Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, or John the Baptist himself, or good old Simeon, or Joseph, the husband of Mary, and others, well known to persons now alive. Back to Matthew, verse 53, and coming out of the tomb, after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. These now, whose had been exposed by the earthquake, whose graves had been opened. Now, after the resurrection of Jesus, they are raised, many of them, not all of them, many of them are raised. 
and they go into the city of Jerusalem and appear to many. And I'll read John's, John Gill's commentary on verse 53. He says, And they came out of the graves after his resurrection, the resurrection of Christ. For he rose as the first fruits, as the first begotten of the dead, and the firstborn from the dead. For he was the first that was raised to an immortal life. For though others were raised before him by himself, and in the times of the prophets, yet they were raised to a mortal life. But these saints came forth to the resurrection of life. Therefore it was necessary that Christ, the first fruits, should rise first. And they went into the holy city, the city of Jerusalem, which, though now a very wicked city, was so called because of the temple and the worship of God and his residence in it. The burying place of the Jews were without the city, and therefore these risen saints are said to go into it and appeared unto many of their friends and acquaintances who had personally known them and conversed with them in their lifetime. These saints, I apprehend, he says, I apprehend, or I believe, or I see, I understand, continued on earth until our Lord's ascension. And then, joining the retinue of angels, went triumphantly with him to heaven as trophies of his victory over sin, Satan, death, and the grave. Now, all these remarkable events, all of these remarkable events occurred at that Passover surrounding the death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. The crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus occurred at that Passover, and all of these remarkable events occurred at that time. And let me just add that all the Jews who were assembled from all parts of the Roman Empire to attend the Feast of Passover. They saw it. They were aware of all of these things. And these same men who were aware of all of these events at Passover, within two months' time, within 50 days actually, they would also be at Pentecost. And so all those then that Peter addresses on the day of Pentecost knew all about these things. Therefore, we can see very clearly that when Peter reported, spoke, when he gave forth from the prophecy of Joel, chapter 2. You can just see the resonance, how that would resonate with these, with these men and how the Holy Spirit then applied that scripture to just penetrate that into their hearts and minds. Back to verse 54. But the centurion and those guarding Jesus, seeing the earthquake and the things that took place, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this one was son of God. They're not saying he, this one was king of Jews. They're saying this one was son of God. And many of the women were there watching from a distance. Those who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, watching from a distance. Among whom was Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of Zebedee's children. And when the evening had come, a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph came who also himself was Jesus' disciple. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in clean linen and laid it in his new tomb, which he had cut out of the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the tomb and departed. 
And Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there across from the tomb. And on the next day, which was after the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered to Pilate. And they said, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said while he was living, After three days I will rise again. Then command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away, and say to the people, He has risen from the dead. So the last error will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a watch, go, and make it as secure as you can. And going, they made the tomb secure, sealing the stone along with the guard. But late in the week at the dawning into the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, a great earthquake occurred, another earthquake. For coming down from heaven and coming up, an angel of the Lord rolled back the stone from the door and was sitting on it. And his countenance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And the keepers shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel answered and said to the women, Do not fear, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead And behold, he goes before you into Galilee. There you shall see him, lo, I have told you. And they quickly departed from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. But as they were going to report to his disciples, behold, Jesus also met them, saying, Hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid, go Tell my brothers that I should go into Galilee, that they should go into Galilee, and there they will see me. And as they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and declared all the things that were done to the chief priests. And being assembled with the elders and taking counsel, they gave enough silver to the soldiers, saying, Say that his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and make you free from care. And taking silver, they did as they were taught. And this saying was spread among the Jews until today, until actually until the day that Matthew is writing this account. And the eleven disciples went into Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. Therefore go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things, whatever I commanded you. And behold, I am with you all the days until the end of the world. To the end of verse number 20 of Matthew chapter 28. Now I present this simply now from the writing of Matthew. Of course, we know there's a great deal of information that Matthew does not record in his gospel that is recorded by Mark or Luke or John in the other gospels. And all of that comes together to add definition and and fill in some areas perhaps that one does not address. But I'll just read this morning, I'll just read this portion from Matthew. Allow it to speak to us. 
magnificent, absolutely magnificent. And this is the fulfillment of Passover. Passover is fulfilled in Jesus. But from the waving of the early barley harvest sheaves at Passover. Passover actually remembers or celebrates the beginning of the barley harvest. And so the very early sheaves of the barley harvest, that which ripens first, is waved before the Lord on the second day of Passover. And from the waving on that day, which is a type of the resurrection of Jesus, because he is the first fruits of those who have, who will be resurrected to the glorified body, a resurrected body. He is the first fruits. And so the first fruits of the barley harvest are a type of that. And from the waving of the, bar, the barley harvest sheaves on the second day of Passover, there will be 50 days counted, 50 days, until the beginning of another harvest, and this will be the wheat harvest, and this will be Pentecost, and this will be seven weeks, and then the final day is the 50th day. And that's the day of Pentecost that we will be devoting our focus to for the next several weeks. But had it not been for that which we have read today, and this marvelous event that changes, it's the greatest event in all of history. There's no question since the foundation of the world that, that this is the event of most critical importance to the survival of the human race and to the survival of the earth itself. As we look to Pentecost, we look to the beginning of the wheat harvest. Pentecost is all about harvest. And so as we will begin to really look in greater depth at Pentecost, perhaps, than we have ever looked before, we'll look at the importance of the provision of Pentecost and its essential provision for the harvesting of souls. And this harvesting of souls, when it is completed, then the Lord will return. What could be more important to us than the harvesting of souls? And so therefore it means that we must then receive all the provision for the harvesting of souls. That's what Pentecost is. So for the next several weeks, we will look at Pentecost. Well, let me go back to Matthew 28, just very briefly, Matthew 28 and verse 6, and I'll close with these words from the angel. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he goes before you into Galilee. There you shall see him. Lo, I have told you.